Hare Krishna. We welcome you to today's Sunday feast and festival. I shall read one verse from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 2, Chapter 1, The First Step in God-Realization. This verse discusses the chanting of the holy name of the Lord. It is one of the very first verses spoken by Shiva Shukadeva Goswami in Srimad Bhagavatam. And from the beginning through the middle and until the end of Srimad Bhagavatam, the chanting of the holy name of the Lord is recommended and praised and glorified. In fact, the very last verse of Srimad Bhagavatam is Yasya Sankirtana Yasya, that um, it is glorifying Krishna who is uh, worshipped by Sankirtan. So this is the first of the verses, and it is very important for all of us. Please repeat. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. So then we'll 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 um, follow the whole procedure and I'll repeat each word individually and you can repeat after me and then we'll we'll recite each line of the verse and you can repeat after me. Etat Nirvidyamananam Ichatam Akutabayam Yoginam Ripa Nirnitam Hare Nama Anu Kirtanam Etan Nirvidyamananam Ichatam Akutobayam Yoginam Ripanirnitam Harinamanukirtanam Etan Nirvidyamananam Etan Nirvidyamananam 
Vinchatam Akuto Bayam Yoginam Ripanirnitam Karinamanukirtanam A touch it is Nirvidyamananam of those who are completely freed from all material desires. Ichitam of those who are desirous of all sorts of material enjoyment. Akutabayam Free from all doubts and fear. Yoginam of all who are self-satisfied. Nripa O King Nirnitam Decided Truth Hare of the Lord Sri Krishna Nama Holy Name Anu After Someone Always Kirtanam Chanting. Translation. O King, constant chanting of the holy name of the Lord after the ways of the great authorities is the doubtless and fearless way of success for all, including those who are free from all material desires, those who are desirous of all material enjoyment, and also those who are self-satisfied by dint of transcendental knowledge. Please repeat. O King, constant chanting of the holy name of the Lord, after the ways of the great authorities, is the doubtless and fearless way of success for all, including those who are free from all material desires, those who are desirous of all material enjoyment, and also those who are self-satisfied by dint of transcendental knowledge. Purport by Srila Prabhupada. In the previous verse, the great necessity for attaining attachment to Mukunda has been accredited. 
There are different types of persons who desire to attain success in different varieties of pursuits. Generally, people are materialists who desire to enjoy the fullest extent of material gratification. Next to them are the transcendentalists who have attained perfect knowledge about the nature of material enjoyment and thus are aloof from such an illusory way of life. More or less, they are satisfied in themselves by self-realization. Above them are the devotees of the Lord, who neither aspire to enjoy the material world, nor desire to get out of it. They are after the satisfaction of the Lord. Sri Krishna. In other words, the devotees of the Lord do not want anything on their personal account. If the Lord desires, the devotees can accept all sorts of material facilities. And if the Lord does not desire this, the devotee can leave aside all sorts of facilities, even up to the limit of salvation. Nor are they self-satisfied, because they want the satisfaction of the Lord only. In this verse, Sri Shukadeva Goswami recommends the transcendental chanting of the holy name of the Lord. So the verse describes three categories of persons. And every person in this room, and if you think about it, you will realize the truth of what I say. Every single person in this room falls in one of these three categories or some combination of the three. You either desire to enjoy material satisfaction that in a general sample of the population, and I don't say you are general, but in a general sam sample of the population, that would be the majority. They are working to earn money, to uh, have material facilities for comfort and enjoyment for themselves and their family members and friends. The next category are the self 
satisfied, who have understood the temporary nature of material enjoyment. Temporary enjoyment means suffering. Because in the material world, in the world of duality, you're either enjoying or suffering. So if the enjoyment is temporary, what's left? Suffering. When the temporary enjoyment is over, the suffering recommences. So we want material enjoyment, but its very nature is temporary, which means that it is mixed with suffering. And therefore, uh, sober, learned, intelligent persons do not put their faith in illusory material enjoyment because they have understood it has a beginning and an end. And when it ends, the suffering begins again. So they want to be aloof from this uh, vain pursuit of material happiness and they want to be uh, freed from the bondage of material existence. Um, but they also have their own desire. Um, there's a, a verse in the Chaitanya Charitamrita Bhukti Mukti Siddhi Kami Sakala Ashanta Krishna Bhakta Nishkam Tata Eva Shanta that the uh, materialists who want enjoyment and the yogis who want mystic powers and the transcendentalists who want liberation from material bondage, uh, none of them is peaceful because all of them have some selfish desire, either bhukti or mukti or siddhi, but they have some selfish desire and therefore none of them is peaceful. And as the Bhagavad Gita says, and as practical experience teaches us, without peace, where is the question of happiness? Uh, Krishna Bhakta Nishkam, only a devotee of Krishna, has no selfish desire, and therefore only he is peaceful. So even those <clears throat> in the second category 
who want to be self-satisfied, who want to be satisfied within themselves, but in a selfish way, uh, they also are not peaceful or happy. Um, and then the third category are the devotees who desire the satisfaction of the Lord. And as long as the Lord is satisfied, they are happy. They have no interest separate from that of the Lord. And they perceive happiness uh, through the Lord's pleasure. Our acharyas have given an example that we can all relate to. Uh, uh, of course, this um, it could apply to anyone, anywhere. It's certainly very common in India that the husband will leave the wife and children at home in the village, say, and go to the city to try to earn money. And while in the city, he may be living in very austere conditions. Uh, he may be uh, lying on the ground, sleeping in the park. <clears throat> For himself, he might just be eating some dry chapatis or, or chickpeas. He's, he's, he's um, living a very meager existence because he wants to save all of his money for his family to send home to his wife. And she, in turn, will use the money to buy milk for the children and she will write letters how, how the children are growing, how they're uh, becoming strong, how they're getting educated, and the man will feel happy. Although personally, he's living in very austere conditions, but he feels happy knowing that his children are happy, they're growing strong and healthy, and so on. <clears throat> so that's a material example, but it gives us a sense of how even in the material world, uh, to a limited extent, but even in the material world, we can experience happiness even in the midst of personal austerity because our loved ones are happy. So bhakti means the devotee wants Krishna to be happy and as long as Krishna is satisfied the devotee is happy. And that means that the devotee can be happy in any situation. Because Krishna is satisfied 
only by our devotion. He doesn't need our money. He doesn't need our uh, achievements. He wants only our love and devotion. And we can offer that to Krishna anywhere, at any time. But that love and devotion is manifest through active service. I have met uh, many people. Uh, I, I lived in India for about 30 years. I met many people who said that I love Krishna in my heart. Why do I have to go to the temple? Or I worship Krishna at home. And I've seen their worship at home. They'll have a little box in some corner with a picture of Krishna or Murti of Krishna. And they will spend maybe hardly anything on the worship. A few rupees. But for themselves, for their sense gratification, they'll spend any amount. And they say, Krishna satisfied my, my devotion. I love Krishna and I spend my money on my sense gratification and on my family's sense gratification. That is not love. Love means that you want to make the beloved happy by any means. Um, but anyway, we will come back to that. So, we are all, to one degree or another, in one or some combination of these three categories. And so, what are we meant to do and why? So, now we'll read further in the purport. In this verse, Sri Shukadeva Goswami recommends the transcendental chanting of the holy name of the Lord. By offenseless chanting and hearing of the holy name of the Lord, one becomes acquainted with the transcendental form of the Lord, and then with the attributes of the Lord and then with the transcendental nature of his pastimes, and so on. Here it is mentioned that one should constantly chant the holy name of the Lord after hearing it from authorities. This means that hearing from the authorities is the first essential. This process is recommended not only for the progressive students in different departments of ideological success, but also for those who are already successful in their achievements as fruitive workers, 
as philosophers or as devotees of the Lord. So, this word, maya, fear, the discussion of Srimad Bhagavatam was precipitated by King Parikshit's being cursed to die within seven days. And so he went to the banks of the Ganges to sit and fast until the end. And because he was such, not just the emperor of the world, but a very saintly devotee, uh, kings and sages from all over the land came to be with him at the end. And out of all of them, Shukadeva Goswami was the highest. And he became the speaker of Srimad Bhagavatam. And King Parikshit was the inquirer. So his question is, what should someone who is preparing for death do? Now this word bhaya, fear. We are all afraid of so many things. But ultimately, we are afraid of death. Every one of us pretty much is afraid of death. And therefore, we are always in anxiety. We may try to put it out of our mind. That's generally what people do. And so they try to amuse themselves by well, amuse themselves or distract themselves, uh, you know, by making money or by, you know, watching television, going to the movies, um, going to some game. Uh, they, they try to amuse themselves or distract themselves, but underneath it all, they're afraid of death. We are all afraid of death. And therefore, we are always careful. Uh, when we drive the car, we have to be alert. There may not be a crash. We, we lock the house. We have a, a wall. We have a security system. We take so many precautions. We take... Uh, Lipitor and uh, watch our <laughs> watch our cholesterol. We don't want to die, and that's natural because we are uh, by nature eternal souls. The soul does not die. In fact, it's a it's an artificial imposition. Death is actually an artificial imposition on people who identify with the body and want sense enjoyment. Otherwise, there's no reason for us to die, to have a material body and die. 
So we don't uh, want to die, but we are always afraid that something will happen and we will lose our facility to enjoy sense gratification and the ultimate loss of facility to enjoy sense gratification is death, the loss of the body. Um, so this is the <coughs> reality. This is the reality. And um, we, we all know the truth of it. Um, as His Holiness Jayadwaita Swami said uh, in his own wry way that you will stand by and watch as your friends die one by one until they stand by and watch as you die. That's what happens. So, we all have that fear, but we don't want to be afraid. Fear is a, is a terrible state, fear and doubt. So, how to become free from fear? This is the method. Offenseless chanting and hearing of the Holy Name. We can be free from fear and anxiety and lamentation just by this chanting. <clears throat> That's why it's important. Srila Jiva Goswami instructs that the chanting of the Holy Name of the Lord should be done loudly and it should be performed offenselessly as well as recommended in the Padma Purana. Now what follows is a discussion of ten offenses and the chanting of the Holy Name. And we should know them because the, the, the real benefit of chanting comes when we chant offenselessly and hear offenselessly. But we don't have time to discuss all ten, but we will discuss one, the tenth. The tenth offense is to become uninterested in the holy name of the Lord even after hearing of the transcendental nature of the Holy Name. The effect of chanting the Holy Name of the Lord is perceived by the chanter as liberation from the conception of false egoism. False egoism is exhibited by thinking oneself to be the enjoyer of the world and thinking everything in the world to be meant for the enjoyment of one's self only. 
The whole materialistic world is moving under such false egoism of I and mine. But the factual effect of chanting the holy name is to become free from such misconceptions. In another place, Srila Prabhupada has uh, translated this offense as, uh, it's the same thing, but as uh, not having complete faith in the chanting of the holy name and maintaining material attachments even after understanding so many instructions in the matter. Now this is an offense. Uh, we chanted uh, tonight and we will chant some more. But when we leave the temple, when we leave the association of the devotees and temple environment, we may not chant. Because we are in this conception of I and mine. We, we, we think I am the enjoyer, I'm the controller, I'm the proprietor, and everything is meant for my pleasure. We want to use everything for our pleasure. So you could say that is maintaining material attachments. So to get the benefit of the chanting, the full benefit, um, one should give up the uh, false ego of being the enjoyer. It doesn't mean that you have to leave your wife or children or, or husband or work. But you work in a different spirit as servant of Krishna. Uh, your, your activities are done in such a way that Krishna will be pleased. And that, too, is not a matter of uh, speculation or whimsy. I met a man in Bombay, one of the wealthiest men in India. His family was reputed to be very pious, Vaishnavas, and he, he showed me his beautiful silver box with tulsi leaves. And he's told me, I do not drink even tea without putting tulsi leaves in it. <laughs> now, that is not acting for Krishna's pleasure. Krishna doesn't want you to drink tea. He doesn't want to be offered tea with tulsi leaves. 
In fact, I mentioned this to someone else in, 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 in business circles. He said you should have asked him if he puts tulsi leaves in his whiskey also. <laughs> so, so, acting for Krishna's pleasure doesn't mean we just sort of do what we want and add tulsi and then everything is okay. Means we, have, we have to know what Krishna wants. We know that from Sadhu, Shastra, and Guru. And act for Krishna's pleasure. And that will really make us happy. There have been many studies on the subject of happiness. Because in general, we have been given a program that says if you go to school, if you get good marks, if you excel in academics, you will get a good job or you, you will be able to start your own business and you will be able to make a lot of money you'll be able to get a good wife or husband and have a nice house, have a nice car, have prestige in society, have material comforts, do so many things. And there are large numbers of people who have followed this program they did everything right according to the program that they were given. And guess what? They weren't happy. So there have been a number of studies and books written about what makes someone happy. In fact, there was a... Um, Anyway, there have been a number of those books and a lot of sort of experimental data, statistics about what make people happy. And uh, the conclusion of one researcher, a professor at Harvard University, is that we are very poor at predicting what will make us happy. Very often, we think something will make us happy. We go for it, we get it, and it doesn't make us happy. And sometimes, we desperately try to avoid something that we think will make us unhappy. And when it actually happens, eventually, we see it as a blessing because there were so many benefits to it that we could never anticipate. So, the, in, in our conditioned state, the idea that making Krishna happy will make us happy might seem odd because it's not what... <laughs> The media tells us it's not what the 
um, teachers in school tell us, and unless we're very fortunate to have devotee parents, it's not what our parents uh, have told us, but it's what Srimad Bhagavatam tells us, it's what Krishna tells us, it's what Prabhupada tells us. And those who have taken to the process seriously have experienced it. Otherwise, why should we go on chanting? In my case, um, well, forty-two years now in chanting Hare Krishna. So, unless I was feeling something, why should I continue? I mean, no, no one's paying me to chant. I mean, I guess in some of the ashrams in Vrindavan, they pay the widows a few rupees to, to chant, but no one's paying any of us to chant. But we're getting something from it tangible and that's why we keep doing it no matter what you know we we can give up so many things but not chanting like Haridas Thakur he was a, a contemporary of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu he was born in a Muslim family and that was at a time when India was ruled by the Muslims and so the uh, uh, Nawab, the, the Mohammedan ruler, uh, called him in and, and told him, you know, Haridas, you are born in a Muslim, good Muslim family. Why are you chanting the name of the Hindu God? And Haridas replied, Oh, so many Hindus have become Muslims. What is the problem if one Muslim becomes a Hindu? He didn't want to get into an argument with him. But he, the, the Nawab, was, took it very seriously and he was instigated by his wazir because Haridas was becoming very popular and so many fears they had if Haridas continued to become more popular. So the Nawab said, Haridas, if you do not give up Harinam, uh, we will uh, beat you to death. And Haridas Thakur replied, you can cut my body into tiny pieces, but I will never give up chanting Harinam. So that is the determination of a devotee, not just determination, it's the experience of a devotee that 
Harinam is his life. And in a broader sense, preaching is his life. Um, once I came to Srila Prabhupada's room after meeting people in Bombay all day and, and I was very enthusiastic and enlivened and I said, Srila Prabhupada, I like this preaching very much. And he said, not I like this preaching, but preaching is my life. <laughs> and uh, Srila Prabhupada had a disciple named Jayananda Das, who's a legendary figure in Iskand, a very great devotee. And he uh, contracted leukemia. And, uh, but he, it's like preaching was his life. Preaching was his life. And when he came to the stage that he couldn't preach, he thought, what is the use of maintaining this body if I can't preach? And Srila Prabhupada said, yes, that is a very nice uh, attitude. So this is, this is our life. This is real life. This vain pursuit of, you know, material enjoyment. This is not a real life. It's like a phantasmagoria, a will of the wisp, an illusory representation. But this is, uh, this is real life and it is eternal. Someone might think, well, that doesn't sound right. Um, you know, if I can't use this body to preach, what's the use of staying in this body? We might, well, that doesn't sound right. Well, if all there was to life was the body, it wouldn't be right. But that's not what life is. Life is the soul. And real life is the soul engaged in the service of the supreme soul. And that continues uh, Regardless of the body. Uh, Prabhupada told a nice story about a sadhu who gave different blessings to different types of people. So to a uh, prince, Rajaputra, he gave the blessing, you should not die. Because you are a prince, you're enjoying material opulence and sense gratification, which means you're engaging in sinful activities. And in your next life, you'll have to suffer the reaction. So, Jivoma, you should not die. And to a... Uh, uh, Muniputra, son of a sage, or is a brahmachari, strict brahmachari, he said, uh, you should not live because you are engaged in very severe austerities under strict regulative principles and as a result, you will be promoted in your next life. 
So you should not live, you should die immediately and and enjoy the results of of your austerities. And to a butcher he gave the blessing you should not live and you should not die. You shouldn't live because your present life is horrible. You're slaughtering animals. Uh, it's a very ghastly activity and sinful activity. And uh, so you should not live and you should not die. Because in the next life you'll have to suffer the reaction for all the animals you killed all the flesh that you sold and cooked and ate. So you should not live and you should not die. And to a, a sadhu or devotee, he gave the blessing, you may live or you may die. It doesn't make any difference. Because in your present life, you're serving Krishna, you're happy and Krishna consciousness and in your next life you will serve Krishna and be happy in Krishna consciousness so jiva va marova you can live or you can die it doesn't make any difference so that is real life eternal life and in that stage uh, there is no bhaya there is no fear no fear of living, no fear of dying. It doesn't make any difference because the devotee is happy uh, in Krishna consciousness, chanting the holy names. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. And chanting the glories of the Holy Name, engaging others in chanting the Holy Name. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna.